0: Do you love your church? Are you excited about what God is doing here? You can clap. You can express yourself if you like. Right. It is good to be what God is, is bringing momentum here, uh, and it's fun just to kind of ride the wave that God is creating and to see what he is doing and life change and, and all the things that are happening. There's so much to celebrate. And uh, I, I don't know about you. I love Sundays. I, I, can't, look, I can't wait till Sunday gets here. I love just being together with you guys and worshiping the Lord and getting to see and hear what God's doing in your life. And so it's, it's very exciting, very exciting times in the life of our church uh, as we seek what, what is in front of us. And we're going through this whole Broken Before Breakthrough series. So um, I have a riddle for you. All right? You may need to think about this one if so you can figure it out. So Pete and his friend, repeat, went over the bridge. Pete fell off and who was left? Pete and repeat went over the bridge. Pete fell off, and who was left? Pete and repeat went over the bridge. Pete fell off, and who was left? Repeat. All right, so I don't know if you remember that. That was real popular when I was a kid. (laughs) That's how smart we is. (laughs) So someone would do that, you know, and it's like, okay, oh, oh, I'm saying repeat, so you're repeating the whole thing. Well, I thought about that riddle. (laughs) That's just... How I roll. Um, I thought about that as I was going through this passage of First John, because it seems like John knew that joke. <laughs> because he it says the same thing over and over again, verses seven through twenty-one of chapter four. He uses the word "love" twenty-seven times in these this short amount of passages. So it's not too hard to figure out its theme, right? So verse 7 of chapter 4 is kind of a switch. If you were with us last week, we talked about discerning spirits and how we are to to discern between the spirit of lies and the spirit of truth and how the Holy Spirit helps us to do that. And then he just kind of takes a, a real quick left turn and back to kind of his driving theme through the whole letter of love. And he says, again, God is love. So if you really want love, if you want to know love, then you have to know God. And then he's bringing that home again, reiterating some things he's kind of been building on already, and he reminds us that the evidence that we have eternal life, the evidence, one of the major pieces of evidence that we belong to God is that we love one another. And he addresses today specifically in the church that we love brothers and sisters in Christ. And so if you have your Bible, I invite you to 1 John chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 7 through 14. And so... We really see in this here, you hear the heart of a pastor who passionately cares for his people and passionately wants them to understand what inspires us to love one another and the importance of loving each other in the church as brothers and sisters. We talk about being in the family of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And he talks about the importance of this, not just for us, but really for the world. So I'm reading today out of the English Standard Version. John chapter, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. So I was just thinking about this, and he's talking about, brothers and sisters, we're talking about the Christian community, the community that we have of all believers, universal, worldwide. But in particular as it's lived out in the local church, I just the thought is the Christian community, the church community is an awesome community. I am proud to be a part of it. I long to be a part of it. I long to, to experience together with the church what God is doing. In this place. And so he really answers the question why should we love one another? John refers here to our profession of faith, when we publicly profess profess faith in Jesus Christ. But even more than that, he's talking about a possession of faith, that we are possessed by the faith. Paul said, It is by grace that we are saved through faith. So once we are rescued from our sins, we live in faith. And faith is this gift that God gives to us. And so not only do we profess faith, the belief in Jesus Christ, that's a starting point. And at that moment, the Spirit of God comes to live within us. And then we are possessed by faith, possessed by the the Spirit of God, not spirit of lies and evil, but spirit of God. And that's the way that we live. That's how we roll from that point forward. And he brings this to light. Now, obviously, not all loving people are of God. You can be a loving person and not believe in God. But what he's saying is you cannot believe in God and not love people. So if you say you believe in God, but yet you do not love people, especially brothers and sisters in Christ, then you don't know God, is his point. And he's very bold about this. Cyprian of Carthage said it this way. I love this line. You cannot have God as your father if you do not have the church as your mother. It's very descriptive, right? So God is our father, the church is our mother. In other words, you can't love God without loving his church. It's in the church that we grow and mature. We need one another to grow and mature in the faith. We need to express love. When we express love to God's church, we give evidence that we know God and that God is love. I was reading George Barna this week in preparation for today, and he's a... Christian statistician, I guess, would be the way to describe him. So he takes surveys and stuff along the religious world and the culture and the climate of today. And he did a survey on self-proclaimed Christ followers in America and church attendance. It was very interesting because he discovered through this that in America, there are 10 million self-proclaimed Christians, people that say they have been born again, but haven't attended church in the last six months, except for maybe Easter or Christmas, based on where it falls. Ten million, ten million American Christians do not attend church on a regular basis. Now, John would most likely point to that and say, well, then they're not really Christians. Because if you say you love God, but you don't love his church, and and more than just expressing, yeah, I love the church, it's demonstrating, he would say, you're not a believer. Now, I might be a little more forgiving on that aspect, but certainly there's a misunderstanding. If you say you're a Christ follower, but you don't need the church, there's a disconnect somewhere in your life. You know, we have a goal at our church is to have 2,000 people in worship on Sunday morning on our campus. And the truth of the matter is, if everyone who is a member of our church, well, if 75% of those who say they are Christians and a member of our church would show up, we would be at 2,000. So it's interesting to think, why would a Christian not come to church? Now, I know churches have issues and there are things that happen. I'm talking about those who don't go anywhere. There's a misunderstanding or maybe a major red flag because John says the evidence that you really are born again is that you love the church. And three things we ask of people here at First Burleson, that you show up to worship. There's energy, it's, there's importance when we worship together. For you and for us, when we come together, there's the, the Spirit of God is here. And we learn from each other and we, we challenge one another and we grow from one another. So we ask people to show up to worship. We ask people to serve. There's all kinds of ministries here in our church and in our community, we ask our members to serve our church in some capacity and then to give, to give of our time, to give of our talents, and to give of our ties, our, our money. This is one way we express love to God's church and love to God. It's important for our own development to be givers of our finances, but it's also an expression of love to God and to his church because we function based on the giving of our people, right? So this is a way we express and demonstrate this love so John's point is we love one another in the body of Christ because we have all experienced the love of God. So everyone here who is a Christ follower, you have experienced the love of God. And you responded to that experience by loving God back by committing your life to serve him, to follow him. Okay, so that's step one. Step two. You know God, and he chose to love us first. You experience it, and you love. So we love out of, first of all, we love each other out of inspiration. God is our model. But we also love each other out of obedience because the Bible commands us to love one another. It's not a feeling. It's not emotion. Hey, let's be honest. Sometimes we don't feel like loving each other. (laughs) Sometimes we're unlovely. But it's out of obedience that we love one another, and it's out of our love for God and because of God that we do this. And all of God's activities are loving. Everything God does is based in love. Now people argue this. Well, what about the, the Old Testament? What about when God would wipe out nations, pagan nations? Well, if you study the history, most of those occasions people had a chance to respond to God, to the one true God. Rahab, the heart, it was a prime example. She had heard about the God of the Israelites and she responded in faith. So that was available. But you also have to understand these nations were Truly, pagan nations, evil. I mean, child sacrifice was mild compared to some of the things they would do. And so, God, being a loving God, protecting His chosen people, inviting others to come and be a part, was wiping out evil and challenging His people to advance the kingdom. So, even in that, the argument against God being loving falls short when you understand what God was doing, even in the Old Testament. In fact. One passage in the Old Testament that I love is Lamentations 3, verses 22 through 23. In fact, that's going to be on the screen. Let's let's say this together. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What an awesome verse in the Old Testament about God and his love and his mercies never ceasing. In fact, I've heard it said, we are never nearer to God than when we love. So when we love one another, we are are close to God. There's evidence that we are close to God, that we are growing in our love for God. That's demonstrated by how we love one another. And then he gives us the prime example. Now, you've heard me say, and this is kind of one of my pastor cliches, that hurt people know how to hurt people. Wounded people know how to wound people. But the reverse of that is true and more powerful. Loved people know how to love people. Right? Amen? If you have experienced the love of God, truly experienced the love of God, then the natural response is to love people. You can't love God and not love people. It's in our DNA through the Spirit of God. It is natural for us. Without boundaries, without limitations, without conditions, we are to love one another. And so John says the ultimate example is Jesus. God's love is the reason that Jesus was sent to be an atoning sacrifice for us. He atoned for our sins. He sacrificed his life to pay our debt. We owe God our lives. We owe God death because of our sin. Jesus took death upon himself and conquered it paying our price. Therefore, we can have a right standing before God. God moved first in spite of our unworthiness to give us and demonstrate and reveal to us his undeserving love, we don't deserve it, and his unsolicited love. John says God moved first. God loved first. We would have never loved God if he hadn't initiated it. That's not something within us. But out of love, he sent Jesus. And I love the ESV because it says the propitiation. That's a big churchy seminary word, right? That means atoning sacrifice. But I found something that I love the way it puts it, kind of makes it easier to express. The definition of propitiation it is the love of God turning the wrath of God by placing it on the Son of God so that we might be children of God and live for the glory of God. (laughs) You like that? You see the central theme there? God. (laughs) It was God. Jesus, the Son of God, took all of God's wrath, which was directed at us and rightfully so. And he took it all upon himself so that we can know God and be children of God, adopted into his family, and lives lives that bring glory to God. Verse 9, John writes that we might live through him. In other words, the only way this life is possible, the only way the Christian life is possible, the only way we can experience joy and peace and love in the midst of chaos, confusion, and corruption is because Jesus has offered us the forgiveness of our sins. If it wasn't for him we would have no joy in life. If it wasn't for him, there would be no love on this earth. But he gave himself completely so that we might experience this. Sin broke our relationship with God. Jesus restored, made it possible for restoration of that relationship. And because of that, when we realize what God did for us, then we want to love him back. Not with just words, but also actions, sacrificial actions. And then John points again, he's given us his spirit which is also an inspiration to love God. Look at verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. So John is pointing to the fact that when we become a Christ follower, now in our culture we talk about inviting Jesus into our heart. Well, surely it's an emotional thing, and it's an experience, and it's an emotional experience when we come to Christ. And so our emotions are involved. And in our culture, the heart is kind of the center of our lives, right? But it's also an intellectual following. We also follow Jesus with our minds. We have an intellectual faith. We don't have just blind faith. There is evidence to the truth of who Jesus is. There is evidence that we have that Jesus lived on this earth, historical evidence that there was a Jesus. We have supernatural, physical, eyewitness evidence that Jesus was alive after his crucifixion. We have intellectual, we can enter into intellectual debates on our faith because we have intellectual power to believe. Now, there's a lot that we don't understand. There's a lot of mystery to our faith, but we have enough evidence to lead us to a belief that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on a cross for our sins, and three days later, God raised him from the dead. There is enough evidence to believe. This is why we argue for our belief. And so verse 15 is our confession, our profession of faith, that Jesus is the Son of God. And then John reminds us, because of the work of God, God can dwell within us. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Before Jesus, if you remember, the Spirit of God lived in the Holy of Holies in the temple. And the priest would go in and offer sacrifices. Now we are that temple, and the Spirit of God that once lived there in the temple now lives in us because of Jesus Christ. He is our propitiation. He made it possible. Look at verse 17. By this... By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. And I like the way the NIV put this a little bit better. The NIV said, in this world, we are like Jesus. Just think on that for a minute. In this world, confusion, chaos, corruption, we are like Jesus. That's the power of the cross and the resurrection. There is no fear in love. kind of sum that up we are defined by who we love the question for you today is who do you worship or what do you worship we worship what we love if it's money if we love money we worship money if it's our family we worship our family if it's God we worship God who do you love today who do you worship today there's only one worthy of worship and it's God God's love is perfected through our expression of it. Okay, so here's what John is drawing for us. God is love. That love is revealed to us by the Father. We accept his love and thereby are adopted into his family as children of God. Step one, step two, but there's a third. This love that God offers is not completed until we share it with one another this phrase sums it up love embraced is love extended love embraced love received true love is love extended if it's not extended it's not true love if you are hoarding the love of God you haven't experienced the love of God because God can intends for us to be a conduit of his love That we experience and the joy of experiencing it, but it is completed or perfected in us when we share it with the church, when we share it with one another. This is how it is described. So here's a little diagram maybe to help you visual learners see it a different way. Okay, God is at the top. Self, that's you. Others, that's others, right? So we're all loving God. Our love is pointed upward. We're all showing and expressing love to God. Because of that, we love each other. We are connected to God, therefore we are connected to one another. And when we express that love to God and to each other, then love is perfected in us. And this is the goal. This is the goal of the love that God has given us, that we might love one another, that the church might be filled with power, that the church might be advancing. God's love unifies us. That's why Jesus prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one. The love of God, the reason we are brothers and sisters in Christ is because of Christ. Not because of our background. We're not blood-related, all of us. A lot of you are, but not all of us. Right? We don't come from the same background, same walk of life, same ideas, same worldview. We didn't come from any of that. We're different. We're very different. We're a melting pot, a potpourri of people. Right? But because of Christ, we are one. In fact, that's the phrase on our, the seal of the United States and on some of our currency. It's E... Pluribus unum, which means out of many, one. So our nation has understood that. We are one under God, different walks of life, different skin colors, different accents, different languages, different experiences, yet we are one. Well, that's what John would say for us in the church. We are very different, and that's awesome. We don't want to be alike. But even in that difference, we are unified. Because of Christ, we are one. And because of this unity, because of this experience of God's love, because we are temples of the Holy Spirit, the result is assurance. We have confidence. I just want to remind you what Paul said in Romans 8, verse 38. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen? Amen. Nothing, nothing that exists, once we have embraced the love of God, claiming Jesus is our Lord and Savior, nothing can take it away. Nothing can take us out of being adopted into his family. As Baptists, we say, once saved, always saved. You can never lose your salvation. Praise God. Because we don't save ourselves. It is God and His love. And so nothing can take it away. And then He says, We are like Jesus. What He means here is we enjoy a place with God, we enjoy a place of prominence with God. We are co heirs with Christ. That blows my mind. We have a place with God because of Jesus. He is our example. We are like him. We have a privileged place with God. And that gives us assurance now that we can live this life and endure all that it brings at us and throws at us. And we have eternity with him forever. Because we are loved, we have confidence. I read a study this week that talked about children. Children who grow up in a home with Both mom and dad, and mom and dad are very loving, children who grow up in that kind of environment grow up with confidence. They're able to face the world with confidence. They embrace life. They're more open to to relationships and being a part of a loving community because that's how they grew up. That's what they experienced. Tests across the board show us that children who come from broken homes, homes where there's divorce or separation, where there's... Not love offered. Those same children grow up and become adults with fear and anxiety. They they have a hard time trusting others. They very rarely enter into loving relationships because they keep people at bay. Because that's the way that they were raised. That's how love was demonstrated to them. Now, not to say that people from broken homes are doomed. (laughs) Obviously the power of God can overcome any kind of struggle we go through. But what the article was saying is that those who live in love have a confidence and they have a a liberation to love. They are liberated. They are set free to love because they're not afraid of love. They're not skeptical that someone's just demonstrating love because they want something from them or it's going to lead to harm. This is why we celebrate being in the family of God. And then he says there's no fear, right? So years ago Nike stole this from God. Remember really, the no fear slogan? We know that we know we are loved when we, live, when we live fearless lives. You have come to the point that you understand what it means to be loved by God when fear is not a part of your life. When you are fear of the judgment, we know that as Christians, when we stand before God one day in judgment, we will be pardoned because Jesus paid our price. So I don't, have to, I don't have to fear the entire. I don't have to fear death. I don't have to fear the day of judgment because I know that's going to be my entrance into to heaven for eternity. He says fear has to do with punishment. Now, this is kind of eternal punishment, like, like you're grounded and you can never get ungrounded. <laughs> we don't fear that. God disciplines us, but he doesn't punish us eternally. Okay, so we rejoice in this and we are set free. Because we do not fear the judgment. And let's be honest, fear fear can be paralyzing. Fear can be debilitating. If there's fear in your life, it's going to keep you from living. So I would ask you this question this morning, what are you afraid of? Who, me? Oh, well, uh, thanks for asking. I am afraid of rats and roaches. That's about it. But those things freak me out. I don't like either one of those. I pray daily that God would remove them all, right? And so, when, and this was really highlighted in my life. A few years ago, we were living in a house, and we just moved there not too long before this, and we had one of those metal sheds out back, and I noticed there was some rat stuff all over the shed floor. And so one Saturday morning, it was in the summer, it was really hot, I decided I'm going to clean out the shed, I pull out all the stuff, and there were like 10 of those wardrobe boxes, cardboard boxes, if you ever moved the ones you put clothes in, right? They're just really gigantic. And so there are about 10 of them leaning against the the wall of the shed. And so I needed to pull those out. So I just kind of lean them back. And when I did, I see that down at the bottom, there was a hole that had been kind of chewed out of those boxes. And I realized, okay, well, that must be where the rat was living. Well, not only was he living there, he was lounging there at the time. Because all of a sudden, as I'm looking about to pull those boxes, his little head sticks out of that hole. And he looks up at me, and I look down at him, and I just shake my head, no. And he shakes his head, yes. And he looks at the wall of the shed, he can't go that way. There's only one way for him to get out. It's right at me. So this rat, and it was, it was six feet long. I measured it later. Six feet long. Comes out of those boxes, and he's coming up at me. i I got my eyes. I'm, I'm zoned in on this thing. He's coming up at me, and I'm doing like that, knocking him down, knocking him down. He keeps going. I can hear that noise in my head even now. He's just coming right up at me. So I just boom, 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 and I realize I'm not going to win it this way. All right. I got to get out of here. I'm in the, it's summertime. I got my shorts, I got my flip-flops on. My only goal is to drop those boxes and get out of that shed as fast as I can. I drop the boxes. I mean, I'm high stepping, right? I remember football drills. I'm stepping through the ropes. So in that cuz I know if that rat touches me, I'm going to die. Right there. And Robin's in the kitchen looking out the window. She goes, "What is going on with you?" There is a gigantic 10-foot rat in the shed. But if I look back now, I don't have to be afraid because even if that rat touched me, I would have died and gone to heaven that very moment, <laughs> right? I would have come through those gates screaming. <laughs> Isn't it great to not have to live in fear? If you've ever been afraid, you know how paralyzing it can be. And John's word of encouragement is, Perfect love. Like those kids raised in an environment where mom and dad love each other and love them. Perfect love casts out fear. So John is pointing back to the top of our triangle. God is love and his love is perfect. And because through his son Jesus Christ, he lavishly pours that into our lives, I don't have to be afraid of anything. I don't have to be afraid of death I don't have to be afraid of money. I don't have to be afraid of coronavirus. I don't have to be afraid. There is nothing more powerful than my God. There is nothing that can snatch me from his loving hands. I am free to live in confidence. I am free to be bold. This is why the church is so vital to our lives. Hey, we're not perfect. God loved us first, we respond to him in love, and we love each other, and that completes this cycle of love, but we're not always good at doing it. And we're not perfect. In fact, if you're perfect, I'm going to ask you to leave right now. You're really messing things up. We are all broken people. We are flawed. We are messed up. We can be very irritating. <laughs> we can be obnoxious like Pete and repeat. That's why John is pleading with us to express love by being patient with one another. Two major things that are required to be a church, patience and forgiveness, that we are patient with one another. We're on different legs of the journey of faith. And the closer we get to one another as as brothers and sisters in Christ, the more opportunity to hurt one another by things we say or do. And we're going to do that. We're going to hurt each other. We're going to say stupid things. We're going to hurt one another. Our response should be forgiveness. Matthew 18, let's talk about what, what just happened. Let's love each other. He's pleading us to help one another, to bear with one another, not to be antagonistic, and not to become irritated with each other. And if someone does something, a brother or sister in Christ does something to irritate you or hurts you, be patient with them. Forgive them. Maybe find out why they did it. That's not like you. What's behind this? What, why are you hurting right now? What's hurting in your life and how can I help? And let's pray and let's encourage. So I want to challenge us today to live fearlessly and enjoy that life and to love boldly. To live fearlessly and to love boldly. So during this time of response... One of my prayers through this Broken Before Breakthrough is that there would be a vulnerability in our church that we would not have fear of being open and honest about what's going on in our lives. That we would be willing and able to admit that there are some things I'm afraid of. We have some folks in our family that are dealing with cancer. Some have been diagnosed terminal. We have others that are dealing with disabilities, physical and emotional. We have people who lost their job, but people can't find a job. We have people whose marriage are on the, is on the rocks. We have children who have strayed from the church and strayed from the Lord. We have people who are afraid of their future. And I would say, that's okay. And there may be another category that you fit into. But I just want to remind you, you don't have to live in fear of those things. God's perfect love will cast out those fears and give you confidence to face them. may not remove those things that cause the fear, but it will give you confidence to face them. And the way that will happen according to 1 John is when the church loves on you. And so just in our time of response, in fact, I'm going to ask, we've had some folks who are going to be kind of prayer people here. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and come down. In just a minute, I'm going to have a stand. I'm going to ask you, if you would say, you know, I'm afraid of something. There's something in my life that that I am fearful of. I just got diagnosed. I just got laid off. I just, there's some things in my life that are just they're rocking my world, and I just need to be loved on right now. You don't have to tell us what's going on. We don't need to know what's going on. The Father does. So just a minute, I'm going to ask you, if you'd be bold enough and vulnerable enough to say, I need prayer to come down front. You can kneel. We've got kneeling benches. We've got chairs. You can stand, whatever you'd like. And these people are going to be here to receive you. But I'm going to ask something else. After I invite you to come to say, I'm, I'm hurting, uh, I'm, af- I'm afraid, then I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you, the church, to respond to those who admitted they have fear. And how I want you to respond today is just to come up and pray over them. Maybe they're in your life group. Maybe they're a family member. Maybe they're a friend. Maybe you don't even know who they are. You just feel led to come and just to lay a hand on their shoulder, lay a hand on their back, and just pray. You don't know what's going on. You don't have to. That's okay. If you will be open and honest enough to say your life is kind of messed up right now, then you will allow us, the church, to be the church. This is what we do. We love each other. And we're not afraid to demonstrate it. We're not afraid to express it. Because those categories may not hit you right now, but I guarantee you one of them will soon. And that's when we need to be able to cry out to the church. I need my brothers and sisters around me. I need you to pray for me. I need to see love perfected in you as you share it with me. So I'm going to ask, Just let's just stand up. Let me kind of walk you through this. And if you would be, again, honest enough to say, hey, I, I just need help. <laughs> would you come down right now? Maybe there's fear, there's pain, struggling with something. Maybe there's somebody on your heart that's going through a rough time and you, you just want to lift them up in prayer. I am invite you to come up here. You can kneel. You can stand. Then I'm going to pray. Okay. And you can continue to come down. And even once the service is over, these people will still be down front to pray for you. Okay, so I'm going to pray. And if you want to come down and kneel and stand in this prayer, then I'm going to invite the church to come and pray over you. Father, you are love. Thank you for loving us first. And God, I pray for a breakthrough this morning. That we would be broken over what hurts our brothers and sisters. That we would feel that confidence with one another to be honest and say, hey, I need you to pray for me. And that we would respond in loving kindness. And we would pray. And we would encourage. And we would continue to pray. God, my my request to you this morning is just let the church be the church. In the power of Jesus' name, amen.